There's the unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, unformed. And if there was not this unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, unformed, then liberation from the, the born, the conditioned, the created, the formed, would not be possible. But since there is the unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, unformed, then liberation from the born, the, the formed, the created, is possible. Now this is a simple statement by the Buddha, simple, clear, but changes the, the framework for our experience, our perception of what we are in the world, how to relate to the, the field of sense experience, to sound, the noises of machinery and things happening outside the temple, the sound of my voice, feelings in the body, the light of the morning. This is all part of the, the born, the conditioned, the created, the formed. So in this simple declaration that the Buddha makes, he's pointing to this fundamental reality of, of not-self, that which is real, that which is dependable, that which is, say, the refuge, is not tied up with the born, the conditioned, the created, the formed. That which is aware of the conditioned world is not tied to it, not limited by it, not bound by it. That's why liberation is possible. So this very teaching was one of the the uh, insights that uh, Venerable Ajahn Man was able to convey to the young Ajahn Chah when he came to visit, met uh, Ajahn Man uh, for the only time they encountered. It was for a few days, about three days they were together. But this was one of the crucial teachings that uh, Venerable Ajahn Man passed on. This is why liberation is possible. Because that which knows the five khandhas, which knows the body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, that which knows them is not limited by them, is not tied to them, not entangled, not identified with them. If it was, if every aspect of knowing was somehow conditioned, formed, wrapped up in the five khandhas, then liberation would be impossible. But it's precisely because there is this knowing element, this attribute of reality, which is unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, unformed, that liberation is possible. In our practice of meditation, the development of insight, as a methodology, let's say, focusing the attention, reflecting on anicca, dukkha, anatta, but these are all part of the conditioned realm. They're things, ideas, thoughts, actions. They're formed, born, created, originated. Things that come into being, 
abide for a while, then fade. This is the the real miracle of the practice of Dhamma, is that the aspects of the conditioned realm can be employed in order for the unconditioned to be realized. That's amazing. The words that are spoken, what the Buddha called the miracle of instruction, it's incredible, amazing how words, sounds, can be heard, can reach the heart, and even though they're conditioned and formed, dependent, they can enable the heart, they can catalyze the heart to awaken to its own reality. The conditioned can be used to enable the unconditioned to be realized, to be known. As the Buddha said, this is a greater miracle than the miracle of psychic power or flying through the air, reading people's minds. The miracle of instruction is the far superior. When we follow these practices, focusing the attention, developing the Reflections on anicca, dukkha, anatta, uncertainty, unsatisfactoriness, not self. The point is not the exercise. The point is not the activity of reflecting. The point is the realization, the pativeta. The application of the methods, the doing, that's all patipata practice. But we practice to bring about a result. Pativeta, realization. Essentially, the Dhamma knowing its own nature. The Dhamma which is the fabric of this body, this life, this mind, this world, this universe. Awakening to its own reality, knowing its own nature. So the point, in a way, is not the practice. The practice is just the the method or the vehicle. The point is... A realization. That's what it's for. So as we apply effort in the practice, in the study, the pariyati, the acquiring the knowledge, learning the words, pariyati, applying that in terms of method, the work we do in, in terms of the practice, meditation, Pariyati and Patipati is all for Pativeta. That's the point of it. When we hear words like the unborn, the unoriginated, the uncreated, the unformed, these are words. They are born, created, conditioned, formed. They're just words, ideas. They're not the unconditioned, the unborn itself. Just like the word food isn't food, it's just a word. It indicates that quality. It evokes an idea of it, but it's not actually edible itself. So we use words like the unborn, the unconditioned, the uncreated, the unformed to point to that reality, to indicate 
the possibility of that quality. But the word is not the quality itself. And the unconditioned is really unimaginable. You can't create an image of it. Unimaginable. Our images, our concepts, they all come from the world of the senses, from hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. A life based on time, three-dimensional space, here and there, inside and outside. So to try and describe something which is timeless, unlocated, formless, our language can't do a, 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 an adequate job of representation. Like in terms of physics, saying, what does a quark look like? Well, since a quark is smaller than a, a wavelength of light, look, light, doesn't apply. You can't describe an image because light doesn't apply at that level. So we should expect our imagination and our concepts to fall apart. What does the unconditioned look like? Looking doesn't apply. Where is it? Where doesn't apply? Does it begin and end? Time doesn't apply. So the, the imagination is left flailing, trying to find something to hang on to. But the world of perceptions, Space, time, color, form, sound doesn't have any value in that, in that domain. Like saying, what does a quark look like? Or what's the sound of a neutrino? It's like, well, sound doesn't apply. It doesn't have any mass. You can't see it. So to the thinking mind, concepts like the unborn, the unconditioned, the uncreated, the unformed, can be frustrating, so intangible. Seems like nothing, or just empty words. But in a way, they, that's absolutely correct. They are empty words. <laughs> but they are words, concepts, that indicate a fundamental reality. Like the word Dhamma itself, that which upholds, or that which integrates the integrative principle of the universe. Well, this is why in the development of insight, there's a lot of letting go. We use concepts like anicca, dukkha, anatta to make a suggestion, give a direction, and then the mind needs to let go. Let go of the labeling, let go of the naming to let the heart, the mind, awaken to the inconceivable, that which is not a person, that which is not located in space or time, ever-present, non-personal. So we use words like emptiness or suchness to try and indicate that quality. But even those, the mind can hang on to. Is it empty or is it such? Which one? How do they work together? So rather than getting lost in concepts and comparisons, 
we use the concepts rather like scaffolding on a building. We use the scaffolding to carry out the work and then when the work's done, we take the scaffolding down. So we use a, a word like anatta, not self. Like scaffolding. Just, it's a form, a structure, but it leads to that a quality of knowing, a quality of realization. It helps to deconstruct the habits of self-view and conceit. So to support this development of insight into not-self, into anatta, one of the ways we can approach that is by using the structure of language, using that scaffolding, putting a question, who am I? Or what am I? What is it that knows this moment? Who does this mind belong to? We can choose our own kind of question or statement, whatever has the most impact, reaches most effectively into the heart. Take a simple question like that. What knows this moment? What owns this mind? Who am I? Take a simple question like that. Let the mind be focused, still and steady. Consciously bring that question into the space of the mind. Let it hover there. Who am I? When we invite a question like that, Take one simple question, one simple statement, invite it in. Notice the space before it, before asking the question. Then bringing it in. Who am I? And then watching, noticing the space after that, the hesitation in the mind before any kind of Conceiving any kind of I or me or mine arises. There's a gap, a hesitation, a pause. Because in that moment, the wisdom faculty of the heart recognizes who isn't the right question. It's not really a who, it's not a person. Oh. And that that realization, that direct knowing, causes the thinking mind to stumble, to hesitate. Who is hearing this sound? Does this mind have an owner? Oh. So the point of this kind of practice is not to come up with a perfect concept or a, a fresh idea, but rather to open up that space, that gap. Because in that moment of hesitation, before the thinking mind can assemble a new idea or a, you know, a fresh name, 
There's awareness, spaciousness, no sense of self. There's a simplicity. Let the heart embody that simple, awake, aware quality. The thinking mind can jump in and say, I am awareness, that's what I am. I'm the awareness of this moment, that's the real me. But that's a set of words, another concept arising. The words, I am awareness, are just words. And if the mind has grasped those, has got lost in them, then it's no longer embodying that awareness, it's born into a set of words, an idea. So this, this process of training is learning how to be that very awakened, aware quality without naming it or claiming it or creating an idea about it. Simply being that wakeful, aware vijja, that knowing quality. And realizing, directly appreciating the spacious, boundless quality of that. The peacefulness of it, even in the midst of, of a, a loud noise or physical pain. Still there's peacefulness. Behind the sound there's silence. Behind the movement, there's stillness. Behind the forms, there's spaciousness. Always. Always here. 